So we talked about devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, right? To the church, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and lastly, to the prayers, right? And then next week, we're going to see another shift in Dr. Luke's narrative here, where he's reporting about the early church, but we'll get to more on that next week. But I want us to see that they devoted themselves, right? They devoted themselves to these things. And we talked about three weeks ago that that devotion meant that they were all in, right? They were all in on the apostles' teaching. They were all in on the breaking of bread. They were all in on the fellowship. They were all in on the church, right? They persevered, right? They were focused people because of their devotion. And, and, and that's what we bring when we bring our prayer life into this, right? That we're all in on our prayer life. We're all in on this communion with God. We're all in on it. We're focused on our prayer life. And the truth is, he says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, to the prayers, which is interesting. And he's talking about two types of prayer. He's talking about public prayer, right, which is what we do here, and what we do at prayer meetings, small groups, right, the, the kind of out, outward prayer where we're, where we're praying with people, we're praying with other folks, right? But he's also, the, the, where we get the S there, the, the pluralness of prayers, that they devoted themselves to the prayer, the prayers is that they, they, they devoted themselves to, to the personal prayer, the private prayer, right? The private prayer life. And not that they just did it, um, but that they devoted themselves to it. They were all in on the public and the private prayers, okay? I once heard somebody say, and I can't remember, I should have looked in between services, I can't remember who said it first, so you can just put Pastor Travis at the end and that will be just fine, Okay? But somebody said once that uh, they never, um, ooh, 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 ooh. they never went five minutes without praying, but they never prayed for more than five minutes. They never prayed for more than five minutes, but they never went five minutes without praying. We're told all throughout Scripture to pray without ceasing. Right? To pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean you walk up and down the aisles at Hannaford, although you can. Okay, it's much more acceptable at Walmart. Oh, that's bad. Um, but that, <laughs> we're going to start over. Um, that doesn't mean you just start walking up and down the aisles, talking out loud, right, to yourself, and people think you're a little cuckoo, although it's probably more acceptable over the last year because I talk to myself trying to figure out if I'm on the right aisle, if I'm going in the right direction because the arrows are gone, but I still want to follow the arrows, and there's not the arrows anymore. <sighs> it's exhausting. Hannaford to go is a great option. Anyway, um, but we pray without ceasing. I want us to find prayer as this, constant communion with God. Constant communion with God. Because a lot of us equate prayer with communication. I've got to tell God what's going on like he doesn't know. Right? And so we give God our side, but a lot of times we miss that prayer is not just me telling God my list, me telling God where he needs to show up and how he needs to show up and, and, and all the ways I've figured out where it would be great for him to do his work, right? But it's communion. It's two-way communication. And here's the deal when it comes to prayer. Okay? We get prayer as a culture. We get prayer as a culture. I heard somebody else say that when the temperature gets hot enough, everybody prays. Everybody prays. And that's true. Right? And so I'm not going to get up here and talk to you and try to sell you, quote unquote, on, on praying. Because I think we all understand it. We all get it. But I think for many of us, we struggle with how to pray. For many of us, we struggle with how to pray. Many of us have bought into a passive prayer life, a passive way of praying. And I want to submit to you that the Bible's clear in many sections. I mean, the Lord's Prayer we talk about in base camp, right? We talk about a lot of these things in base camp. But I want to come to you today with four things that have to be in our prayer lives. Four elements that have to be in our prayer lives. I mentioned that we get praying in my research, 
64% of Americans pray. That includes people that don't call themselves Christians. 64% of people pray, right? And so this, this idea of prayer, whether they pray to a higher power, to God's right, I mean, I mean, but they get praying. But there's a trend with prayer. There's a trend with prayer that I want to show you that kind of took me a little bit by surprise, but when you think about it, it's not surprising at all. Come here, Dylan. Come here, Ian. Real quick. I want to show you something, okay? I want Ian, I want you to stand right here, okay? I want you to look pretty, all right? Dylan, I want you to come stand over here and look handsome, okay? All right. Are you looking handsome? Okay. You'll, you'll get there. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So Ian represents a freshman in college, okay? He represents a freshman in college, all right? Dylan over here represents, let's just say, an elder, okay? An elder, someone that's, someone that's ma- reached maturity, right? Has got it, right? They've gone through some things. They're, they've grown up a little bit, okay? A lot of bit, all right? This is our elder. Now, there's something interesting in our, in our prayer lives that we see. A lot of people understand, a lot of our young people get praying, and they pray often, which I found interesting. Our teenagers, they pray, right? They pray. Um, and, and statistics show that, that, uh, that they actually understand and comprehend prayer a lot more and better than people in this group do. And then, and then on the elder side of things, once, they, once people have grown up a little bit, maybe retirement, um, you know, what have you, um, once maybe kids are out of the house, priorities shift, people on this side of things, elder, seasoned citizens, right, they get prayer at a deeper level. But there's a dip here. There's a dip here from freshman in college to elder. And I know that's a big gap, but that maturity comes at different times and places for all of us, doesn't it? Some of us are elders a lot quicker than others. Some of you were. Mike, we're waiting, man. We're waiting. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But right, I mean, it hits, it hits us. But this dip right here is where the lowest percentage of people value prayer statistically, which is surprising to me that this group of people over here, 18 and under, value prayer more than that college student, that young adult finding a job, that young married couple who's trying to build a family and grow a family and survive and get that white picket fence, and they're just trying to keep the puppy alive and all those different things. Our puppy's almost six months, man. We're almost there. Right? But when we think about it, at first glance, it may be surprising that there's a dip here. But this is the area where we know everything. Right? That freshman in college, they go off. They, they know everything. They know everything. That young professional, right? They don't want to start out at level one. They want to stop out at, start out at the top of the ladder because they, they know everything. And it's insulting to think that they would start at the bottom and work their, their way up. How dare you even think that? They have a college degree. How dare you think that they should start somewhere lower than the top? Right? This group of people has it all together. And here's my fear for us, is that when it comes to our prayer life, many of us land in this gap. Many of us land in this dip. And the reason for the dip in our prayer life is because when we're in control, when we get it, when we've got it, when we don't need help, guess what? We don't need God's help. And so our prayer lives in this dip are nothing other than desperate pleas when we've reached the end. Thanks, guys. Snaps for these guys. Snaps for these guys. They did great. They did great. Great standing, fellas. Great standing. And that's my fear for us. That's my fear for us. Is that as we approach prayer, we know we ought to pray. We know how to pray. 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We know, we know the ways the Lord teaches us to pray. But we've become passive about it. And we're certainly not always devoted to the prayers. So that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Devotion in our prayer life. Devotion in our prayer life. And God calls us to be a house of prayer. So Colossians chapter 4, I told you we'd get there eventually. Starting in verse 2, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which, of, account, on, of which I am in prison, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now Paul here, at the end of his letter to the church at Colossae, he's asking for prayer. What's he asking for prayer for? For the furtherance of the gospel, that God would give him the words to speak in ways that he should speak them. Right For the furtherance of the gospel of which he's in prison, which is interesting. Paul doesn't ask, Paul doesn't ask to be set free. He asks that God would give him the words to continue to preach the gospel, that God would give him the platforms to continue to preach the gospel. We know from Philippians that Paul didn't want to be freed from prison. He, want, he just wanted to be faithful to the gospel, whether he was in prison or out of prison. He asked in Philippians chapter 1 that, that don't feel sorry for me because of my chains. God was giving him a platform for the Praetorian Guard, right? And so Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't apologetic. He wasn't in up in arms. He wasn't in distress for the fact that he was in prison for preaching the gospel. He just wanted to preach the gospel more wherever he was. We'll get more to that in a minute, okay? But he, but he asks here at the end of his letter to the church at Colossae for, for the prayers, for prayer, for preaching the gospel. But I want you to go back to Colossians chapter 1, just flip back a couple pages, and I want you to see how he starts his letter, because I think the foundation for prayer that he set in chapter 1 sets him up to ask for those prayers in chapter 4. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. When we pray for you. Now again, we know this from, chap from chapter 4. Paul's in prison. Right? He's in prison for preaching the gospel. Yet he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. And what was on his mind while he's in prison for, in chains for the gospel? The church at Colossae. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you is, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and, and increasing, and it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the, spe in the Spirit. In summary, Paul's saying you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. You're staying faithful to the gospel that you've been taught. There's fruit. I hear of your fruit. I see your fruit. No doubt the messenger that would have brought the report back from the church at Colossae told him even more about the fruit of, of the church, right? So in summary, Paul's just praising God on their behalf for their faithfulness. Keep reading. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say amen this morning. That will preach. What a prayer. What a prayer. 
What a prayer. And Paul, in chapter 1 here, is laying out his heart in prayer for these people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this week in your mailbox, that letter right there showing up saying, hey, I'm praying for you in this way. May you be strengthened in the power of his might that set you free in Christ Jesus. Man, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. Keep going. Don't quit. May you be strengthened in the power of his might. Paul laid the foundation for chapter 4 to ask for the prayers and furthering the gospel in chapter 1 by telling the church at Colossae how he's praying for them day and night. That's powerful. Let me catch my breath. That's powerful. It's powerful. One of the, the biggest things that we have to learn before we can launch into how we pray is this. Our prayers are powerful. Powerful. They're powerful. Our prayers are powerful. It's not just words that we say to the God of the universe that created heavens and the earth, created you, created me, created spiders. Why? No clue. It's not just passive words that we flippantly throw up. They're powerful. They're powerful. And they touch the heart of God. They touch the heart of God. They touch the heart of God. Well, but, but, but wait a second, Pastor. Are my prayers really powerful if God's just going to do His will anyway and He's just going to do what He wants to do? Let me tell you something. As a father, right? Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, even older brothers, older sisters, right? I think I've said this before. I think I've said it recently. There are sometimes, right? Like, let's just use a silly example. Kristen made um, chocolate chip cookies Friday night with Ghirardelli chocolate chips. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about a prayer life. Friday night, I was praising the Father. They were unbelievable. They're gone now. I wish I could share them, but they're gone. Right? But we were sitting there, and, and the, the cookies came out of the oven, and Ezra's over there like a, like a panting dog. Just got his mouth open. He kind of crawls up into a stool at the counter, and he's just looking at these cookies. And so me, being dad, right, because they know not to touch the cookies when they're on the cooling rack because they're hot. They know that because they've done it before and it's burned them, right, because they don't listen the first. Anyway, anyway, this isn't parenting confession, okay? But I sat there and I looked at Ezra, like mouth open, eyes longing for a cookie. And I looked at him and I asked a simple question. Hey, Ez, you want a cookie? Now. I knew the answer, right? Duh, right? D-U, right? I knew the answer, but I wanted to hear the heart of my son, right? I mainly just wanted to hear his reaction about the cookie, right? But, but you get the point. I told you a silly illustration, right? Sometimes we know what our kids want, what our friends want, what our husbands, our wives want, right? But we want to hear their heart. That's what I mean when it makes a difference in how we pray. God knows the heart of Christina, but He wants to hear it from you. He wants to hear it from each and every one of us. And He also wants to hear us say, God, I want this, but Your will be done. Because as we do that, we're going back to the very first thing that Peter talked about in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. Lordship. We're aligning our will with God's will and saying, God, here's the deal. 
I'm done with this. I'm done with this. It's been a year. I want a cure. I want healing. And I don't want to preach in this thing anymore, so I'm done with it. But your will be done because I'll do whatever you need me to do. Right? Your will be done. And he wants to hear our heart. Speech is a powerful thing. Scripture talks a lot about speech. When you think about it, a judge says a few words. A judge says a few words and a person's life is saved or condemned. A doctor speaks a few words and a patient either rejoices ecstatically or gives up in despair. Whether the communication is oral or written, there's great power in our speech, in our words. And the power of speech is a gift from God. It must be used in a way that God ordains. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus writes how the tongue is compared to a bridle in a horse's mouth and a rudder, a small um, rudder on a big ship, a fire and a poisonous animal, a fruitful tree and a fountain. These three pictures, these three pairs of pictures teach us that the tongue has the power to direct. The bridle directs a horse. The rudder directs a ship. The tongue has the power to destroy a fire, a poisonous animal. The tongue has the power to delight a tree, a fountain. The tongue is a little member in our bodies, but it can accomplish great things for good or for evil. That's why we need to bathe it in prayer. So Paul writes again to the church at Colossae. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ in which I am uh, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul gives us four, uh, Paul gives us four characteristics here of a devoted prayer life, and the first one is this, faithful. Our praying must be faithful. Continue in prayer, continue in prayer, continue steadfastly in prayer. This means be steadfast in your prayer life. Be devoted. Don't quit. Don't quit. I'm a huge college basketball fan, and I, I love Jimmy V Week, right? Who remembers Jimmy Valvano, coach NC State, right? And, what, and his famous speech, don't ever give up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up, right? And so every time I read Paul's writing here to continue steadfastly in prayer, I hear Jimmy V in the back of my mind, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Paul was not ashamed to ask his friends to pray for him, and he wasn't ashamed to take it a step further to continue steadfastly in prayer. See, too many of us pray occasionally. We triage prayer, right? We pray when we feel like it. We pray on Sunday mornings when the pastor says, let's pray. But we should be constantly in fellowship with God so that prayer is as normal as us breathing. That prayer is as normal as us breathing. This constant communion with God. And see, here's the deal. God enjoys answering our prayers. You know that, right? I enjoyed giving Ezra a cookie the other night. God enjoys answering our prayers. And, 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 but sometimes... He delays the answer to increase our faith and devotion and to accomplish his purpose at the right time. But here's the deal. I've said this before. I'll say it a hundred more times. God's delays are not always God's denials. God's delays are not always God's denials. That's for me. I need to be more patient. Yes, sir. Okay. God's delays are not always God's denials. Okay, be faithful in prayer. And this constant communion with God, you know, it's, it's like the be still and know I'm God. Be still and know I'm God. You know how God wants us to come to him? Okay, and so before we sit down and we say, okay, God, I got this list and I need, I need, to, I need to hit the list, right? Faithful prayer life, being faithful, being devoted to a faithful prayer life is taking a breath first. Be, taking a breath first, 
right? Because when we take a breath first, when we remind ourselves of who we are and who he is by taking a breath first, when we come into communion with God and we come to pray, whether we're doing it in the car, whether we're doing it at Hannaford, whether we're doing it here at church, whether we're doing it in our home, in our prayer closet, wherever we're doing it, at our kitchen table, you know, wherever we're, wherever we're praying, right? When we take a breath first, and we remind ourselves of who God is, you know what that does? For me, it puts my list in perspective. It puts the stuff that I, I quote unquote need from God, or I need for this person to understand, or I need, you know, I need this thing that I've just got to have, right? Or I need this, I need, it really puts that in perspective because I recognize in the stillness of his presence that I have all that I need, right? I have all that I need. I have all that I need. And when I think about the faithfulness of a devoted prayer life. I told you a couple weeks ago when I was preaching on the apostles' teaching how I'm reading the Bible through in a year. I think I told you. I know I told a couple services. If you didn't hear it or if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I'm reading the Bible in a year right now. And I'm amazed, I'm amazed at how often, just in Matthew and Mark so far, Jesus withdraws himself. And you know what that means, right? When Jesus withdraws himself, he's going to be with the, his Father. He's going to be with God. And it's not, it's not Jesus saying, hey, I'm an introvert and I'm through with you people. I just need some space right now. It's not you, it's me, right? That's not Jesus, right, trying to take a time out. Okay, because he's, but it's Jesus trying to refill himself with the Father in the wilderness. And let me ask you this, or tell you this, whichever way it comes out, right? If Jesus needed time with Father in the wilderness, as perfect as he was, how much more do we need time in the wilderness? How much more do we need to withdraw and go and take a deep breath and be with Father. I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go five minutes without praying. So I want to do something today that's a little different. After each of these points, I want us to pray that way. And I want you to be able to take a breath and pray for your faithfulness in praying. My question is in this first one, how faithful is your prayer life? How faithful is your prayer life? Scale of one to five, are we at a four, are we at a two? How faithful is your prayer life? And what would it take for you to get from a 1.67 to a 2.13, right? What would it take? How faithful is your prayer life? Would you be willing to pray in this moment, God, help me be faithful in my prayer life? Help me to be more faithful in my prayer life. Let's pray. You pray first, and then I'll close this. Just take a moment. Talk to God about your faithfulness in your prayer life. So God, I pray that we would be found faithful in our communion with you. God, that we would be a people that is known for how we commune with you. That we would be a people that's known for our faithfulness to you. I pray that for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, after he says faithful, he says continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Watchful in it. See, this is where, this is where we go on the offensive, that we be watchful in it. We must be awake and alert as we pray. The phrase watch and pray is used throughout the scriptures. There is no power 
There's no power in listless, dull praying. Prayer demands spiritual energy and alertness. Prayer should be intentional, right? Prayer should be intentional. It should be on purpose for a purpose. We should be watchful in our prayer life. How many of you remember the movie Karate Kid? Anybody watch Karate Kid back in the 80s? Okay, great movie, right? Miyagi or Cobra Kai? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't cause divisions, okay? Sunday morning, we should be unified, okay? We're all Miyagi. Okay, anyway, but Cobra Kai had a saying, right? The Cobra Kai dojo that was kind of the, the villain in the movie, right? They had a saying, the best defense is what? Huh? More offense, right? The best defense is more offense. Okay, I was talking with somebody in between services, and I said, I can hear my college coach, my college basketball coach, in my brain during this whole point. Act, don't react. Be on the offensive. Don't respond to what the other team is doing, right? You set the tone for the game by going out and how you play. Cobra Kai, the best, off, the best defense is more offense. Don't give them the opportunity to throw a punch back. It's so violent, right? But don't give them the opportunity to throw a punch back, right? And many of us, many of us in our prayer lives, and our spiritual lives, we're cuddling up with the devil in the kitchen when we should be praying that bugger away. Yes, I just called the devil a bugger, okay? I think that's a really southern, anyway, right? We've got to be watchful in our prayer lives. We've got to be watchful in our prayer lives. I think about the Titanic. You've seen the movie The Titanic? I'll never let go, Rose. Right? You get the two guys up at, at night, and they're, they're the watchmen. Right? They're in the tower. They're supposed to be looking out, but they're so cold. They're distracted by how cold they were. They, they didn't even see the iceberg, this big, giant iceberg, until it was too late. And they tried to turn. They tried to turn. They didn't turn. They hit the iceberg. About, what, an hour and a half later, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's on the door and I'll never let go, you know, and, and, and anyway, right? But the watchmen in our prayer lives, that's where we are to be, looking out to see the potential. Because here's the thing that we've got to know about our enemy. He's not creative. He's not. We know where he's going to strike us. The moment you commit to having a more faithful, watchful, steadfast prayer life, guess what? The enemy doesn't want that, right? And if the enemy's not coming at you, guess what? You don't have to worry about it, right? Because you're not a threat. But the second that we make a decision to get more watchful, guess what? He's going to hit us, and he's going to hit us in the same place that he's been hitting us for the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, right? We know, we know where we're weak to the enemy, and that's exactly where he's going to go. He's not creative, right? We've got to be watchful. We've got to be able to see those things coming, right? We've got to be watchful. We know, we know some of the things that our kids are going to come in contact with. We've got to be watchful on behalf of our children. I've got a little girl. I still call her my little girl. I will for the rest of her life. Is about to be 13 in like two months. Pray for us, okay? There's all kinds of things that I thought I was prepared for that I'm realizing as I'm in the watchtower, I ain't ready for. Right? I realized the other day, she's 12. She's two-thirds of the way to college. And like, I have just blinked once. It's unbelievable. And some of you are like, yeah, just wait, pal. That's so encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> but I know what's coming her way. I know what's coming for her, her way. And so I'm praying for her in a different way than I'm praying for my little boy, right? Because I know what's coming his way, right? I'm watchful. Listen, husbands, wives, be watchful in prayer because you know where your spouse is weak. You know the devil's not creative. Be watchful in prayer. The best defense in our prayer lives is more offense. Hit your knees first. Don't wait for the temperature to get sky high. 
Don't wait till you're in the triage room. Start now and pray. Be watchful. How watchful are you in your prayer life? How much on the offensive are you in your prayer life? Praying for the things that are coming. Praying for the things that are coming. Let's pray. Pray that way. God, help me to be more watchful in my prayer life for my kids, for my family. Take a minute. God, we know that we face an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So not only do we need to be steadfast and faithful in praying, but we need to be watchful. As Paul called the church at Colossae to be watchful, may you call us today to be watchful. God, there are many voices. There are many distractions. God, in a movie, it was cold weather. For us, there's so many things, so many voices to be heard, so many outlets to be read, so many quote-unquote truths to believe. But we know there's one truth, and it's yours. And so I pray that in our watchfulness we claim the truth of your word in our house. Deuteronomy 5.6 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and teach these to your children. Teach these things to your children. Write them as a doorpost in your house. God, may we be watchful. As men and women of your word, brothers and sisters in your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Two down, two more to go. Number three, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 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 Oh man, this is a good one. We have so much. Somebody say so much. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much to be thankful for. Look at Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. You know what he wanted to do? Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. He could have left that out. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Look at the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious about nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's list out a couple. Take a deep breath. There's one. Look around. There's two. What are you sitting on? I know they're cruddy chairs and we get to leave them here when we leave, but there's three. You got a chair that's holding you up for now. For now. Okay? Right? We're in heat. You hear that thing blowing? There's, is that four or five? Four? Okay. We got heat. This, we haven't always had heat in here um, on Sunday mornings in February. So that's, I'm really thankful for that. And we're going to enjoy it for the next few weeks. Right? Um, we, we talked about it two weeks ago. Right? Uh, the average American home has three Bibles in their home. That's five, right? You're sitting next to somebody close to you, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, daughter, you know. Um, there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Right? There are some places that are having worship services right now with a dirt floor, cinder block walls, no light because they don't want to be seen. And only a portion of the scriptures because they can't get the whole scriptures together. There are some people that are learning about Jesus that don't even have a Bible in their language. We have a lot to be thankful for. Yet there has never been more of a critical 
longing, wanting spirit than ever in our culture. And you know who the, who's the loudest? We are. As Christians. We want, I mean, you know the cliches, right? We want better carpet. We want better windows. The sun's in my eyes. The music's too loud. The music's too soft. They didn't play the right music. The pastor preached too long. I have no idea when he's going to shut up. I can't make lunch plans because I never know when I'm going to get there, right? And so we just do dinner on Sundays because we don't have a fat chance of getting anywhere on time. Because again, if he preaches, then we're going to go long. But if Dylan preaches, he's going to keep it on time, right? (laughs) Or Ian, right? Or anybody else because... I think that is their one prerequisite that they try to do so that you'll like them better than me, okay? Right? And so then, then we just get fed up one day because, well, they're not changing. So then we go to five other places to try to find the right things in the right places. And I can't drive too far because I don't love them that much, right? And I can't, but then they're, you know, and so, oh, but then they're moving and all these different things, right? And we do all of these different things and, 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 and all of them are centered around contentment. All of them are centered around all of these different options that we have now and all of these different ways that we can be critical. How in the world can they allow that? How in the world can they allow that? How in the world can they do this? Nope. Nope. Nope, that's me. Not going there. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let me ask you, how thankful are you in your prayer life? Again, I think that's one of the reasons for the be still, the deep breath. Because when you stop long enough and you think about all the things you have, it changes your perspective on what you think you need. We have so much to be thankful for. I was hanging out with a dear friend of mine on Thursday, Tom Thompson from Birmingham, Alabama. He flew up here and was meeting with Ian and I on Thursday about something we're going to do in the summer. And uh, he shared with me, they took three weeks off right at Christmas. For Dawson down there in Alabama to take three weeks off around Christmas is a big deal because they do Christmas Eve in a huge way. And their, their, their choir had been preparing because they were going to do Christmas service at a football stadium so that they could be outside and spread out. So their choir, to get used to singing, outside have been practicing in their parking garage. Yes, they have a parking garage. Move past that very quickly, okay? <clears throat> but they had, to, they had to go completely virtual for three weeks around Christmas time. You know why? Because in the month of December, they lost six people in their church to COVID. Six people. I'll be honest with you. That makes you look differently at this virus, doesn't it? It makes you look differently at doing this right here because at least we're able to be together, right? We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for. So again, how thankful are you in your prayer life? One of the biggest things I think we need to do when it comes to a devoted prayer life and that deep breath is to think, what am I thankful for? Every day I pray, a lot of you know this, I follow a model of prayer. It's it's called the Acts model. I start with adoration. One way that I'm worshiping God, one way that I'm praising God. I go to confession. 
all the areas where I need to confess before God and repent before God because I'm called to do so as a child of God, right? Again, he knows, but it's really humbling and it reminds me a lot of who I am when I confess before him. Number three, the T is thanksgiving. So every day I list out the things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my church in that order. You can go and look at my prayer notebook. That's been consistent. Even on the days you're driving me crazy, it's been consistent. I'm still thankful for you. I still love you. How thankful are you in your prayer life? So as we pray, I just want you to tell God three things. Three things you're thankful for this morning. I'll give you a cheat sheet. Me, Ian, and Dylan. There you go, right there. Three things. <laughs> Three things right there that you're thankful for. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But I want you to go before God. What are three things you're thankful for? Let's pray. God, if we never ask, if we never pause and give thanks, God, I believe that's a form of selfishness because we have so much to be thankful for. God, fill our hearts with joy, fill our hearts with gladness. Take away the critical spirit that's dominated for so long. Restore the joy of our salvation by reminding us by reminding us of what it went, of what it took to get there. May we be thankful in response. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Number four. Look at verse three. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. And he goes on, look at verse 4, that I, may be, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul had a specific request, didn't he? He had a specific request. And again, in our minds, if Paul's in prison, he ought to be asking the church at Colossae to pray for him to be set free. But that wasn't his prayer, that God would open a door for him to preach the gospel wherever he was, and that he would make it clear as he ought to speak. You know what this shows us? That our prayers ought to be purposeful. Our prayers ought to be intentional. Right? Our prayers ought to be specific. They ought to be specific. Again, our will lining up with His will. Yes, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Your will be done. But God, here's the deal. It'd be really awesome if you would do this. It'd be really awesome if you would show up in this way. God, I need you in this way. And be real specific. Be real purposeful. Be real purposeful. God, I need this. I will never forget. We had some mold issues. We had some mold issues. I'm looking around. Henry, you were here. Madeline, you were here. We had some mold issues. 2000, I think it was my first year here. 2011, 2012. We had some mold issues in all of our classrooms and over here in the fellowship hall. And um, we, we didn't have the money to pay for all of it. It, it, it took about $19,000 or so to fix all of the issues. And I ended up installing all the doors with, with a guy named Rusty that was in our church at the time. That's why the doors are a little suspect. But anyway, um, we launched a campaign, real creative campaign that fall when we realized that we didn't have the money to pay for all this mold, mold stuff. Um, and we, we, we called the campaign. You remember this, Henry? We need $20,000. Real creative. Real creative. And we prayed. Man, we prayed for months on this. And we just, we just needed the money because we had to take care of it. Kids couldn't be over there in the classrooms. and They were all over the place. And we had a bunch of kids running around at the time and all of that. And, um, and, and we needed $20,000. $20, so that's what we named the campaign. 
you know, by the end of that December, that Christmas Eve service, we, in, we closed the campaign, we ended the campaign, and we had 10 cents extra of what it cost us to take care of everything. 10 cents. 10 cents. 10 cents more. 10 cents more. Isn't that crazy? We did all the receipts. I kid you not. I had our treasurer check it like three times. We did all the receipts. We did everything. 10 cents. Fast forward a couple years. I got one more for you. I got one more for you, okay? Um, our parking lot was in really bad shape. This one right out here. You remember this, Henry? Parking lot was in really bad shape. It needed to be sealed. We had a couple guys come and look at it. They said, um, listen, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're going to have to seal this thing twice because once just isn't going to cut it because it's so bad. And if you leave it for another year, you might as well not even seal it. It's just going to be a gravel pit, right? And, or gravel, whatever. And uh, so we launched another campaign. This was the parking lot sealing campaign. We need seven grand. Okay, and so we spent the summer, great time to raise money, uh, trying to raise money for our parking lot to be sealed. I was about to leave and go to Johnny and Friends in North Carolina, and a guy visited our church. He sat right back there where John and April were sitting this morning. He sat right back there during the whole service. His name is Wade. He was visiting us because he was a part of our church in North Carolina. He was visiting us the day we were taking up the offering for the parking lot ceiling. And, and he came to me at the end of the service. He said, listen, um, I'm going to get home. I'm going to send you a check for $7,000. All that offering you just took, use it for outreach. He paid for our parking lot. Not awesome. Only God. I didn't invite him. I didn't ask him. God just put that on his heart right? And I could tell you time after time after time, whereas I've been specific in my prayer life, we've been specific in our prayer life, right? And, and God has shown up in that way. One more. We were sitting as a staff one Christmas, because in between Christmas and New Year's, we were setting goals. I was just telling Ian this story the other day. And, and our associate pastor at the time, Josh Larrabee, some of you may know him, he's on staff over at East Point now, he, we were setting a goal for baptisms. I know, well, you shouldn't set goals for baptisms. You should let the Holy Spirit do its work. We understood that. We were just setting some goals, okay? And Josh said 50 baptisms in one year. I thought, man, you're, there ain't no way. But to humor him, I went with it. So we set 50, goal 50 baptisms. I tried to talk him down. He said, where's your faith? And I couldn't respond to that at all. You know how many people we baptized that year? 53. 53 people in one year we baptized. Unbelievable, right? Not in God's eyes. My fear for us when it comes to being purposeful in prayer is that we've gotten so comfortable and complacent with what's in front of us that we're not even dreaming for what's next. We're not even dreaming for what could be. We're not even thinking anymore. We're not even dreaming anymore. We're being so conditioned and controlled to just doing what we've always done that we're never dreaming. There are times. Hear, hear my heart in this. There are times where I wish we weren't as healthy as a church financially as we are. Because the temptation in that is that we don't have to rely on God for what's next. And we just do everything that makes sense. Let me tell you something. When Joshua, it was Joshua, right? When Joshua was in the field praying for the sun to stand still, he didn't have a plan B. God had never done that before. God had never shown up in a way where the sun would stand still and keep it light so that they could win the battle in the time or keep it dark. No, keep it light in the battle so that they could win the battle because they knew if it went dark, they didn't have a chance and they were done. And Joshua prayed, God, I just need you to make the sun stand still because if you don't, we're dead. If you don't, this whole thing that you've called me to goes out the window. And so I just need you to stop the sun so that we can win this thing and we can accomplish this thing that you called us to. And guess what God did? He made the sun stand still. Had never happened before, has never happened since, but it happened that day because a guy prayed for it purposefully that I need the sun to stand still because I want to win the victory that you've called me to. Let me tell you something. I want 
you to win the victory that God's called you to. But you've got to pray on purpose for a purpose. Stop being passive. You want God to heal your marriage? Pray that God will heal your, mar- heal your marriage. And guess what? Tell your wife that that's what you're praying for. Tell your husband that's what you're praying for. You want your kid to come to Jesus? Say, God, break his heart. Scary prayer, dangerous prayer. I understand. Right? But pray for it. And then tell him, hey, I'm praying that God breaks your heart for the things of him. Tell people what you're praying for. As hard and as painful as it may be, be purposeful in prayer. Paul said, listen, I need you to pray for me. I need you to be steadfast in prayer. I need you to be faithful in prayer. I need you to be watchful in prayer. But I also need you to pray for me. Not that that God would open the door of my jail cell so that I can go out, although later in the book of Acts that happens as a result of prayer and worship one night. It's a phenomenal miracle, right? But that wasn't Paul's request. Paul's request was pray that God would give me more opportunity to be faithful to the gospel that's put me in these chains. That was his request. How purposeful is your prayer life? Have you bought into a passive way of prayer? Are you intentional and on purpose for a purpose in your prayer life? Worship team's going to come. I was working with Micah the other day on the basketball court. Matt knows this. Bruce, you probably know this, right? There's no point in dribbling a basketball if you're not going anywhere, right? There's no point. You can just stand there and dribble a basketball, but eventually somebody's just going to come up and take it, and they're going to go down at the other end, and they're going to they're probably score, right? And so I was telling Micah on Friday, I was working with her, we got, we got an opportunity, just her and I, to go with a hoop at a gym, and I was working with her, and I said, Micah, you just took two dribbles and shot a ball, but you didn't go anywhere with your dribble. I said, you got to use your dribble to get you somewhere. And so I, I, I coined a new phrase for her. I said, dribble on purpose. Dribble for a purpose, right? If you're going to dribble, if you're going to put the ball on the floor, I want you to get somewhere. And she bought into it. And yesterday, as she played four games back to back to back to back, all with a mask on. I don't know how she does it. Right? I saw her trying to dribble on purpose. She wasn't just dribbling pointlessly anymore. She was trying to get somewhere with her dribble. And it was fun to watch the light bulb kind of go off in her brain a little bit. I want the same thing in your prayer life. Don't just pray because it's what you're supposed to do. Don't waste your dribble. Stop that. But when you put the ball on the floor, when your knees hit the floor, when your head hits the table, when you're driving into work and you're spending time with Jesus, Be on purpose. Be intentional. So the prayer here for each and every one of us is God, help me to be more intentional in my prayer life. You've called this place to be a house of prayer. Help me to be more on purpose with my prayer life. Help me not to be distracted. Eliminate the distractions when you go into your prayer life. Help me to be on purpose. Pray that for a few seconds and then I'll close us in prayer. So God, this whole thing is so that we can be in fellowship with you. That's the point of prayer. That's the point of this communion. 
so that we can be in fellowship with you. So I pray that we remember that the purpose of our prayer life is a relationship with you. May that affect the way we commune with you. May the fact that we're building and growing a relationship with you, God of the universe, creator of all, may that change the way we pray. May it make us faithful. May it make us watchful where we see temptation, where we see struggle, where we see turmoil. God, may may it make us thankful for the fact that we get to be in fellowship with you. We get to be in communion with you. And God, may it make us purposeful that we pray on purpose for a purpose. God, restore the joy of our salvation by restoring the joy of a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.